And also I'm sitting there, I'm going, wow, no degree, no job, no skill set other than basketball, which they don't want to pay me for. What am I going to do with my life? That's fear. And that's the same problem that people have when they budget. That was CSUF personal finance professor Michael Milligan discussing his experience going from living his dream of playing pro basketball to being cut from the pros for the second time. That fear he's describing is the same fear many of us feel when we bring up budgeting and finances, which begs the question, where does this fear of money even come from? Milligan's answer is the fear comes from the terrifying feeling of not having it and the elephant in the room, which is the lack of personal knowledge about money most of us have. The lack of knowledge in which students are given about money is absolutely inexcusable, which is why Finance 310 has now become a required GE at CSUF. But for those of us that are graduating this year, have graduated, or are just interested in seriously having your mind blown about what tips you can take to better your personal finances, then my friend, you have come to the right place. On this week's episode of the CSUF podcast, Michael Milligan discusses how you can get ahead of your financial career and lose that fear of budgeting to get to your financial goals. So without further ado, let's get into this week's podcast. Hello, Titans, and welcome back to the CSUF pod, a show where we give tools, tips, and resources from CSUF experts to help Titans achieve greatness. It's your host, Mirabella Isaias here, and I'm with a very special guest, Michael Milligan, who has been a full-time finance professor at CSUF for the past 17 years. He's an ASCSU academic senator and the founder and former managing director of the Applied Security Analysis Program, now known as the Titan Capital Management. He has had over 30 years of experience on Wall Street, and today, Professor Milligan is here to teach us about personal financial management. How are you doing today, Professor? Thank you so much for coming on the CSUF podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. I always look forward to helping our students. Well, I'm really excited because the most I know about money is from the Wolf of Wall Street. Didn't learn too much from that movie, so this is going to be very helpful for me. <laughs> well, you're going to find it's very interesting. I worked at that firm for about 30 days in New York. No way. Oh my God. What it was, was that me, like? It took me all about 30 days to realize that what they were doing was against the law. They were breaking the law and I left. As I went further on in my career, I literally had to go explain how Stratton Oak, my God, my resume. When I left there and started a hedge fund. People always laugh. My first partner in the hedge fund was Mark Hanna, who was played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie. That is insane. Oh, my goodness. You must have been watching the movie like. Well, how can I put this? Jordan Belfort is probably the greatest liar I've ever met. I guess that's what he does. He just, as he breathes, he lies. It didn't take long to figure out what was going on. Look, several of my coworkers from Bear Stearns stayed. I couldn't stay. I don't believe I have to steal money from people to make money in the market. Absolutely. And the market can be tough enough to make money in the market, let alone lie to people and give them false hope and dreams on stuff that you know is not going to work. I'm shocked. Wow. I normally don't tell students about it because they're like, what? You know, they all want to ask questions. Yeah. I was not around when they were doing all the crazy stuff they showed in the movie. Again, that just wasn't me. Literally two months, I saw enough, was gone. I stayed in touch with a couple of the guys that stayed there and it was unbelievable. They ended up going to jail for that. That must have been so crazy to like see that progression. And then it really shows your heart too. Well, there's a saying that I was raised on in terms of on Wall Street. Now, was not all money is good money. And that was not good money. Couldn't look myself in the eyes or go to sleep at night knowing that put you into an investment, knowing that you're going to lose all your money and all it's going to do is put money in my pocket. I had a conscience. So that was enough for me. Thank you so much for sharing that experience. I just feel like you're the perfect person to do this interview with oh. because like, <laughs> you know, Wall Street, you understand money. And I guess what I wanted to ask you was, 
is personal financial management easy for you? Do you find yourself overwhelmed sometimes by personal finances? Not easy for me. It's not. I tend to see things differently. I guess the best way to put it is my wife used to handle the personal finance because my mind was always on Wall Street, you know, how to make money fast, how to make money in trading, how to make money in the market. And it was interesting too, when we first got here to California, there'd be days when she would say, hey, you know, the mortgage is due. And I'm like, "Ah, I'm fully invested. All my cash is in the market. It'll be maybe a week or two weeks before I can get any cash out. Payments would be late sometimes. But the other side was, as a trader, as an investor, cash is my inventory. What does that mean, cash is inventory? Well, let me put it this way. If you got really hungry, Mm -hmm. you know, Mike, I'm going to go get a cheeseburger from McDonald's. I really got a taste for a cheeseburger. And you walked into McDonald's and I said to you, we're out of beef. We can't give you a burger. And you'd be like, you're McDonald's. How can you be out of beef? So I'm going to leave here and go someplace else and get a burger. That's how I look at cash. My ground beef to make a burger. If I don't have cash. Right. That's a brilliant analogy. And I think that that's very helpful to think of what money is and how much value it has. People really struggle with personal financial management because it's never really taught to us in our educational lives, especially if you come from low economic standing or you're part of a marginalized background. You were taught that money is paycheck to paycheck. I think that experience brings a lot of fear to money, which I'm privy to. I'm really empathetic to people who have gone through those situations with money and how money has become a source of fear. I'm not sure if it's a source of fear. I think it's more the fear of not having it. I think that's what the fear comes from, not having it, not being able to do certain things in life because you don't have enough money to do it. Budgeting is it really is discipline. It's not easy. As my daughter says, all you guys are going into adulting. And part of adulting is think about your retirement account. You got to think about your health plan. You, you know, I need to save money to buy a home. All these things all of a sudden come at you. And if you've never had anybody talk to you about it, you're sitting there going, huh? Now, understand, I was an accounting major. I'm sitting in my agent's office. My agent says to me, he says, we're going to take the money, your paycheck. We're going to buy some limited partnerships. We're going to buy some mutual funds. I looked at him and said, I got a pro contract. I don't have time for that. You take care of the money. I'm going to go play ball. That's right, because so, you played pro basketball. Can you go a little bit about that experience? When I got cut from the pros the second time, I'm sitting back and I'm going, wow, Mike, you, you know, you're 24 years old. At that time, I still hadn't had my college degree. You have no money in your pocket. And basically, my whole life since I was in middle school, doing nothing but play basketball and work out and train. And also, I'm sitting there and going, wow, no degree, no job, no skill set other than basketball, which they don't want to pay me for. What am I going to do with my life? That's fear. And that's the same problem that people have when they budget. They look and they go, wow, I only have... 2,000 miles come in in a month, but I need to spend 3,000 miles just to break even and just to pay my bills and stay afloat. And they look at that and they go, I don't know how I'm going to do it. That's the fear. And because of that, they go, why am I going to bother the budget? Because I already know I don't have enough money as it is. Even more reason why, Maribel, that you should budget. Because most of us, first time you budget, you're going to go, I had no idea I spent money on this. And all of a sudden you go, wow, if I just cut that in half, I got an extra 200 bucks a month. But if you don't budget, you don't realize how much is going out the door in that particular area because you don't really pay attention to it for a habit that you could have controlled with your funds. Right. What's funny is a lot of my friends actually don't even look at their bank accounts. They just like throwing money pretty much. And that's definitely what I used to do. And when I think about money and financial planning, it's very overwhelming and it's very difficult for me to start. Can you give some general tips on how to start that financial planning as a traditional college student? Because it's really difficult for us to start. Well, the benefits you guys have over my generation, there's an app for everything. Now, There's these apps that you can track your spending habits on where money's coming in. You can track all that. 
on my bank account, on my phone, my mobile bank account, I have alerts. These are all the things that, that you can put in place that makes everything just a lot easier for you. You have two advantages when it comes to budgeting and planning. Two major advantages. One, you're young. Two, as Warren Buffett calls it, the eighth wonder of the world, and that's compounding interest. What's so, compounding interest? Compounding interest is when you earn interest on your principal and earn interest on your interest. Compounding interest makes your money grow faster. This weekend, instead of going out and spending 100, 200 bucks on cocktails and hanging out with your friends, let's take $200 and put it into some type of investment vehicle. I want you to do that every month for the next 45 years. If you do that and earn just 6%, in 45 years, you have $2 million just off that. If you wait five years and then do it, so that means you're only doing it for 40 years, you'll have $1.2 million. Time is your friend. That's an $800,000 difference over five years. Time is your friend. If you can't start with $200, start with $50, start with $5, start with $10. But the key is to start, to have the discipline to stick with it. That's the hardest part. Pay yourself first. Take 10% off the top and pay yourself first. What does that mean, pay yourself first? When your paycheck comes in the mail, whatever that dollar amount is, take 10% of that paycheck and put it into your savings account, your investment. Then use the rest of the money to pay your bills and do everything else that you normally do. But pay yourself first. If you don't, no one else is going to do it for you. I think that that can be really difficult to take care of yourself first, because as a college student, and especially like I'm going through this right now, where I'm trying to make connections, I'm trying to meet people. And it's like, let's go out for drinks. How do I say no to that? But I'm spending money on gas. I'm spending money on the drinks. I'm spending money on that time that I'm using. And then I feel like I can just put myself to the side at that point. That's the challenge. And you can't put yourself to the side. If you don't do it for Maribel, who else is going to do it for you? The only one that you really can depend on is you and your significant other. In that respect, in your in your financial dreams, when it comes to paying yourself first, when it comes to this financial planning, when it comes to budgeting, saving really is nothing more than foregoing the benefit of the cash today for the benefits of the cash in the future. And the average American is living from paycheck to paycheck. It's not a good feeling. I'm going to throw a little more gas on this fire. Do it. You can't depend on Social Security. I can't really depend on it. Social Security is going broke. The biggest argument with Social Security is not if it's going to go broke, it's when is it going to go broke? The social security that comes out of your paycheck is to support the people that are already retired. So in essence, you need to get a really high paying job and do a good job because I need you to support me on my social security. I think that that's like a perfect segue to what employment benefits do you think potential new graduates should be looking out for? Health benefits, health. And if your job has it and you can get it, you know, disability insurance. Most Americans lose their home to disability, not mm-hmm. loss of job, disability where they can't go out and make a living. What's your advice there? As a college student, it might not be as important to you because maybe you're not supporting a family yet. Maybe it's just you. Things change as you start to build and your relationships and you have kids, things change. So especially if you're the breadwinner. The other thing that students need to focus on is just pure health benefit. If you can check, some companies provide health benefits, but they're not cheap or they're not really good plans. So you want to look at the plan. And if you already know that you're going to need certain medical needs, then you want to make sure that that insurance that you get will cover those needs. Can I ask you a question? So if you're doing this for your kids, right? If they get a job, what are you looking for in that paperwork? The things you look at, do you know that your um, person that requires insulin on a regular basis? Look at the health insurance that they're offering you and see what would the insulin cost me on this plan? If you're a person that you know you have to go to the doctor a certain amount of times and snap, what's the d- deductible that you have to pay on each visit? If you're a person that has to have dental work done, does a, does a company offer dental? In order to actually finance your plan, you got to first sit down and figure out what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? There's one thing that students don't, people don't take it, and I don't know why. 
Certain companies, when you have what they call matching dollars, that's 100% return on your money with no risk. Why would you not do it? Matching dollars. Because I don't think anyone knows what that means. Get a new job. One of the things they do is you have to go into HR and have a discussion with them. One of the questions they ask in HR is, do you match? If they match, what it means is for every dollar you put into a retirement account, they're going to put a dollar in there too. Now they'll cap it. So argument's sake, it might be $2,000, it might be $5,000, it could be $10,000. It depends on the company. But think about this. You put $2,000 in here, your company matches it. It's your money when you, know, you retire. So now your account's worth $4,000 with no financial risk, no risk of the marketplace because you can put it into a money market. Now, if you want to invest it, that's great, but they're matching it. Then I tell students, I said, what about if you put in twice as much? If they're matching 2,000, you put in 4,000. You got a 50% rate of return on your money. Where else are you getting 50% on your money with no risk? That's the biggest one that probably not just college students, that people in general just don't do. Well, I don't have the money. I'm like, well, you got to go find the money. They're matching it. They don't do that at Fullerton. I wish they did. (laughs) (laughs) After this podcast, they'll start doing it. So what are two common financial questions you get asked and what are the answers? The two common questions I get asked is, so what stocks should I buy? And the other one is, I just got a large sum of money, inheritance or something. What should I do with it? And I give the same answer to both questions. I do not give advice to students. Now, the reason being is because- <laughs> You've got me. <laughs> the reason why. If you ask me for advice, I'd say that to you. The reason being is, I don't know anything about you. Are you aggressive? Are you conservative? Are you a risk taker? Do you need this money a week from now, years from now? Is a goal to say, use this money to buy a house? Is a goal for this money to just to put it somewhere until you need it a year from now to pay tuition? These are all questions. What's your goal? And all and stocks are not all the same. Some stocks pay high dividends, which is income. Some stocks are speculative, means there's no income, there's no growth. But if they hit it with this new drug or whatever they're doing, the stock, the company could easily quadruple overnight. But it's risky because if that new drug doesn't come through, that company is not going to be worth anything. So in order for somebody to answer that question, sat down with a financial planner. They're going to have a questionnaire for you. You're going to ask some of the same questions. What, do you, what are your goals? What's your short-term goal? What's your long-term goal? If I said to you, Maribel, I want to make a lot of money. It's a relative term. How much money is a lot of money to, to me? And it might be a different number to you. So it's all about assessing your goals. You got to assess your goals first. What are your goals? What are your financial goals? Mm-hmm. Now, then once you determine what your financial goals is, the financial planner can sit down with you and help you put together a game plan to meet those goals. When you were in college, what was your financial goal? The MBA. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Be honest. Yeah, definitely. When I think about mine, I would be so happy if I had money to buy an apartment for me and my girlfriend. Like that would be the goal in life. Where do you start? It's overwhelming, you know? Financial goals are no different than your personal goals. Hmm. And what I mean by that is the more detail you can put into it, the better chance you have of accomplishing. If my goal was to be a basketball player, well, I accomplished that in elementary school. Yeah. Even when I teach kids basketball, I always tell them your goal is to put the ball in the hole. Your goal is not to shoot. Your goal is to shoot and put the ball in the basket. Keep the goal in the back of your mind. If you're looking to get a house or apartment for you and your girlfriend, here's the deal. How big of an apartment? How much does it cost? What kind of deposit do you need? So now I'm trying to narrow down how much money do you need to actually save for to accomplish your financial goal? So now we got a plan. Now you say, oh, I can't afford that. Okay, what can you afford? This goes back to your budget. I can afford this. Okay, based upon that budget, we can save this much and you can get this much, which means you can afford an apartment for this much. So the real deal is I put it back on you. Well, what are you trying to accomplish? I like that a lot because it puts the onus back because I think everybody's waiting for them to be almost saved by money. 
So thinking you have to be your own savior in that mindset. You have to ask yourself the questions. What do I want and how am I going to do this effectively and easily as possible? Even if you don't have the ability to put together a financial plan, yeah, write out your financial goals and be as detailed as possible. Then go find yourself a financial planner. We both know college students make $12 to $15 an hour and typically have like part-time jobs. They have large costs of living, especially in California. The tuition, transportation, and housing. How can students and alumni live better with this budget and not just survive? I would say this. The poorest person in America is a college student. (laughs) It's so true. I feel that. I feel it in my soul. I went through it. My kids went through it and I'm sending my kids money like most parents send their kids money. And it's still, I'm going, you're the poorest person in America. Don't get hung up right now on the money situation because what you're doing is you're retooling yourself. You're fine tuning your skill set to go out there and make a living. Metaverse, which is the form of Facebook, they lost $10 billion last quarter. Why? They're retooling themselves to be the metaverse, not to be a Facebook, but to be metaverse. That retooling costs time and money. But their mind should be focused on honing their skill sets to, to have that career when they graduate. That's when I start worrying. I would start worrying about money. Okay. So what skills, when you graduate Cal State Fullerton, from what skill sets have you developed and honed so you can have a career? I wouldn't worry about financial planning right now. I would definitely not worry about it if it's going to make you nervous and upset knowing that more money is going out than coming in. That's a temporary situation, knock wood. Student loans can be intimidating and overwhelming, and I know you have a great story for this. So what does that look like starting a payment plan, and how do we do it right? Well, I was in college. I was on scholarship. I never had to pay for anything. They didn't have to pay for school. They didn't have to pay for books, housing. But I did not graduate when I left college. So after I finally said, okay, I'm done with the MBA, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to school and get my degree. Thing, I just ended up shopping around for student loans. Since I graduated from college, they have different types of payment plans. Now they have graduated, they have accelerated. They have. My recommendation for students is one is to find a, a payment that fits into your budget. If you're making $30,000 a year, you shouldn't be paying $20,000 towards student loans and negotiate and, and try and work out a plan that fits into your budget. The company that gave you the loan just want the money. That's really all they want. So it's better that you try and work out a plan with them than not. The other thing I suggest is that if you can make more than your annual or regular payment, pay more. If your regular payment on your student loan is 200 bucks a month, and this particular month you can pay $300, pay the extra $100. But when you make that extra $100 payment, notify the lender that the $100 is to be applied towards your principal, not interest. Mm-hmm. What it'll do is it'll pay off your loan faster. So my daughter had a five-year car note. She paid a little extra each month. Two years into it, her loan is basically half of what it should be. By three years, the car would have been paid for. The reason why you sign up for the least amount is the amount that you know you can always make. I can always pay $200, Professor Milling. Okay, cool. So let's, that's your base. But make sure it's applied towards your principal. Reduce your principal. If you don't tell them that, a lot of times they'll apply it to the interest. You can do that with credit cards. You can do that with card loans. You can do that with a mortgage. You can do it with a student loan. Another advice for students is take that extra that bonus, the pay increase, and put it into some type of investment someplace. And that will work towards your student loan. That's money that you can use toward paying your student loan, another thing. But that's that's one of the things you can do. 
finance 310 is a required course for every student on campus now. Here I am graduating this year. That would be fabulous. What I would do to learn so much. The students now who come in, it's a mandatory GE requirement. And as I said earlier, this is a, this class is important. This is whether you like it or not, you're about to face all this. If you haven't already started, it's coming right at you. And once you graduate, it's going to be right there in your face. You know, how are you getting to work? Are you buying a car? You're renting a car. Where are you going to live? That's going to happen to all you guys. The question is, are you going to be prepared for it? I wasn't really prepared for it. I wasn't. My generation, you know, was almost like, what's a mutual fund? I was a counting major and I'm asking, what's a mutual fund? So things have changed. I think that the students going forward will actually do better. And I would love to see the same course required at the high school level. I agree. I completely agree. This is something that I think students have been talking about for a very long time. And especially like even for, I mean, I'm Gen Z, I'm about to graduate, but my friends and I have been talking about the fact that we've never learned about finances. We genuinely do not know anything of the scope. My last tip would be it's cheaper to do it than not do it. And as much as you might fight it down the road, you'll see the benefits. You're not going to see results from financial planning tomorrow. The real big when everything comes to fruition over time, it takes discipline, but you're making a commitment to your financial future. If you make that commitment, then you're most likely you'll stick to it. So why are you proud to be a Titan? Why am I proud to be a Titan? I never, no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> really? That, that's, my, really? that's my question for this podcast. I really do believe in the young people that come through my class. For me, it's enriching knowing that I might have played a role in Maribel becoming the success that she is. I think, not think, I know that we're one of the best universities in the state of California in the, in the Absolutely. country. And the other thing that makes me proud to be a Titan is that we're able to get you guys this, this great education that's affordable. You know, we're not charging you 60 grand a year. And I've had students that have gone on to job interviews competing against the USC's and UCLA's. And like, Professor, I was more prepared than they were. I knew more than they did. I got the job. And I'm like, see? And guess what? You didn't have to spend 60 grand a year. You're not in debt for a quarter of a million dollars and you got the job. I mean, I, I know some young people that are paying a quarter of a million dollar student loan and they can't find work. They graduated college and can't find work and they've got these loans. And I'm sitting there going, that's a house payment. You should be buying a house with that, not, not be paying off a student loan. And then the worst part is if you're going to college to be a teacher, and you're paying your way through school, why would you go to that university and pay 60 grand a year, knowing that, no offense tenant, but when you graduate, you're gonna have a quarter of a million dollars loan, you're gonna get a job making maybe 50, 60 grand a year. How are you gonna pay that loan? It just doesn't make sense to me. That's now you come to Cal State Fullerton, you go to school for four years and what you got maybe a $35,000 loan, but you're making 50 grand a year. You can pay it off easily. It's not gonna stress you. And the other benefit too is, if you plan on staying and living in Fullerton, you know, Orange County, the alumni network in Orange County for Fullerton students. I tell my students all the time, I said, whenever you go on a job interview, do a, do a, a quick LinkedIn search. Find the Fullerton students actually working at that company. Pick up the phone and either call them or text them and say, hey, I'm coming in for an interview. Any suggestions, any tips you can give me? I said, you've got the biggest alumni base in Southern California from Fullerton. And every student I've ever told that to that's done it, none of them have said to me, Professor, the person was rude to me on the phone and didn't want to help. I've, I've never heard that comment yet. And I've been telling students that for the last 17 years. And every one of them has been helpful and friendly. And I think it's because they've gone through the same thing that you're going through right now. So that's why it's great to be a Titan. And we're just getting bigger, better, and stronger every day, every day and every year.
Thank you so much, Professor. This was such a wonderful interview. I had so much fun and you made this really difficult, scary topic for me so much easier to digest. And I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm surprised I was invited, but once I was, I'm happy to give you that information. Well, have a great day. Stay safe and goodbye. Yep. See you later. Thank you. Thank you so much to Professor Milligan for coming onto the CSUF podcast and talking to me about personal finances. My eyes have been completely open to all of the opportunities that I've been missing because I was so scared to even look at my finances. I hope that this podcast was helpful for you, especially if you're a first-generation college student or a child of immigrants like myself who wasn't really taught how to understand or deal with money. Feel free to send this podcast to a friend who may be struggling with their finances or just wants to learn more about financial planning and financial management. Not only will you be helping them, but you'll be seriously helping out the podcast. Please feel free to send this to a friend, a family member, or keep on listening to it over and over again, like I will, because I always forget some of these tips. So make sure to keep on listening. Well, Titans, that's all I have for this week. So stay positive, stay safe, and don't forget to follow at Official on all social media platforms. You can also find coronavirus updates at coronavirus.fullerton.edu. This is your host, Mirabella Esaias, saying, if you can't beat the fear, do it scared.